Before we get started, we want to ask you to take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from, and give us a like on our Facebook and Instagram pages at Untold Stories Publishing. For the past 18 months, we've all been dealing with COVID. But for the frontline workers, the medical professionals in hospitals, clinics, and doctor's offices across the country, it's been especially hard. Impossible conditions, countless hours, and no end in sight to the pandemic as the men and women who have dedicated their lives to saving ours, questioning whether that's even possible with such overwhelming odds. Welcome to Untold Stories of COVID-19, a brand new podcast from the Adel News Tribune and Cook Publishing Company. These are the people in your town telling their stories in their words. Um, my name is Elizabeth, and I've been working in the medical field for 12 years, and I've worked on the front line since the beginning of COVID-19, and this is my story. Most of the time, certified nursing assistant Elizabeth is 30-something. She's fun to be around. She's clever. But not tonight. Tonight, her tone is pleasant, but grim. She's a little bit solemn. She thought she was going to be off today, but she got called in anyway. This happens a lot these days as a new surge of COVID rushes through the hallways of the South Georgia's hospital's critical care unit where she works. I'm not sure if it's the Delta variant. I'm not sure what causes these surges or these waves. Um, If anyone knows, I just haven't had time to slow down long enough to hear. You get so caught up in the bedside. All I can really answer is that these people are sick and that all of us are tired and frustrated and scared. And that's all I really know. It's not just the surge in numbers, it's the disease itself. The fight against COVID is hard, and things happen quickly. So, it happens so quick. Um, They say the first sign of hypoxia is confusion. So, when your oxygen starts going low, you get confused. So, essentially, first step, you're probably going to get tied down to the bed. Because you're going to be up, and you're going to be trying to fight everybody, and... We don't have time to fight. We have to keep all these oxygen levels above 86. One of the most frustrating things about COVID for both healthcare workers and the patients is that it attacks the one thing that everybody takes for granted, being able to breathe. So you've got 12 to 24 patients and you're running through the rooms all day long, but you can't, these are people that used to walk. They walked last week and now they're tied to the bed and they can't breathe, but they've got to keep this mask on to get their oxygen back up. So you've got to go to the bathroom, you've got to take them a bedpan. But when you roll them over, that 86 goes down 62, 74, somewhere in there. So you're watching this number teeter-totter, teeter-totter, while you're trying to do regular activities of just daily life, going to the bathroom, combing their hair, eating, eating, oh my gosh, eating. They've got these BiPAPs on, these machines, and they're just blowing this air in their face, which I know has to be the most aggravating feeling ever. And then your arms are tied to the bed because you're confused and you're going to want to fight and I don't have time to fight with you because this patient over here has got to go to the bathroom and that's going to make them drop down in the 60s and I, you got to be still. You got to keep the mask on. And it's a constant struggle all day long. You, you run and you fight oxygen levels. And at the end of the day, if one of them dies, you just feel 
drained and defeated and purposeless or is that a word? You just, every reason that you've come in there today has just been sucked out of you. Elizabeth knows firsthand how draining COVID can be, even among the healthy. She and her youngest son contracted COVID and quarantined to keep the rest of the family safe. So me and my six-year-old are in the hotel and he does really well with it. It's like a regular cold. He's got sniffles, you know, it takes a nap or two. But um, when I catch it, it's hard. You got to clean up his messes and you're still chasing after him, but you're breathless and your lips are turning blue and everything is just 20 times harder than what it usually is. But I guess at least we weren't hospitalized. COVID has transformed the way that hospitals work. There's not enough beds. There's not enough machines. There's not enough staff to go around. In order to protect patients and the staff, most hospitals are not allowing visitors, even in the most dire of situations, where before the pandemic, people were gathered around the beds of their loved ones as they passed. Now patients must face it all alone, sometimes with just nurses like Elizabeth by their side. Um, the first patient that I had was an elderly woman, and it was early 2020, right when it first became a thing. And I just remember her calling to the nurse's station, and she was so scared. Um, she kept, she kept asking for someone to come in there with her. She was lonely. I remember one time she's like, am I going to die alone? And I was like, it's going to be fine. But on the other hand, she didn't want to be on the vent. She didn't want to use any of the supplies because she was worried we were going to run out of supplies. Everybody that worked there was terrified to go in the room because we just didn't know what we were facing. Since that time, Elizabeth has seen hundreds of patients come and go, many of them forever. I can't count how many people have died from it. It's, it's been a good bit. I just, I can't count. Sometimes it's people you know, sometimes it's people you don't know, people in your town, what have you. Um, I've been working in the medical field for 12 years, and I've worked in the ICU, the cardiac ICU, the emergency room. I've seen a lot of trauma, but I've seen more people die of this than anything else. The critical care unit where Elizabeth works was at capacity in 2020 with all 17 beds full. Now it's up to 24, and they've had to open the pediatrics wing. And once COVID patients leave her floor, bound for the intensive care unit, their chances of survival are narrow. That happens a lot these days. Pretty much when they go on the vent, it's over. The average pay for CNAs and RNs is not as high as one might expect considering how they hold someone's most precious gift in their hands, their lives, or the lives of their loved ones. And like many hospitals dealing with COVID, Elizabeth's is understaffed. The amount of hours they work are insane. Nurses and CNAs are quitting hospitals in record numbers. People who've been working in the field for 15 or 20 years are turning their backs on the job and leaving. Many hospitals are turning to travel nurses to try to make up the difference in employees, but even that's not always helping. And all of this is taking a toll on healthcare workers like Elizabeth. So I've always had this niche for helping people. I always, I don't know, I always took it hard, everything they said and everything they did, and I just wanted to be someone who could help them. And so I, I always loved my job, and then this happened. Um, pretty much as the numbers go up, your compassion goes down. Um, nobody's, oh. 
I've always said that if my heart wasn't in my job, then I wasn't going to do it anymore. And um, I had to think about it a long time, about if this is something that I could do or something that I should do. I just, you can't, um, hmm. It's hard to help someone that doesn't want to help themselves, And that's, I guess, that's where you reach the burnout point. COVID has become a hot-button political and societal issue. But for many healthcare workers, it comes down to those who are taking it seriously and those who aren't. And dealing with patients that Elizabeth feels aren't being realistic or conscientious enough about the risks of contracting the virus has taken a toll on her view of humanity. It's so exhausting and it's aggravating because no one is listening. You go to Walmart and there's people there with no masks. You're in the bathroom and see people not washing their hands. You see there's no distance, there's no, there's no fear of this monster. It's infuriating. Um, it's like when your kid's climbing on the counter you keep telling him, get down, get down, but he's not going to get down. And now he's fell off the counter, but guess what? you got to pick him up and hold him when you really just want to be like, I told you so. I told you so. Um, even after they're already sick, they're just adamant that it's, it's just a conspiracy and we're still trying to kill them when you're just, stop talking about a conspiracy and put your mask back on. There's no, <sighs> there's no reasoning sometimes. She's sure that some of those patients die believing it's all a conspiracy. Others die regretting that they didn't take it more seriously. But there's always more patients coming, and it's enough to overwhelm anyone. I had texted my boss one day and told her I was coming in. It was my day off. I knew they needed help. I knew they were understaffed. I knew they were drowning. And I thought, well, I've got to go help them. So I get dressed, and I get in my car, and it takes me about... 20 minutes to catch my breath, but not from COVID, just from panicking. Um, trying to muster up the courage to make myself start the car and drive to the hospital and jump in the trenches. I got the car started and I got down the road and I had to pull over on the side of the road and I all but breathed in a paper bag, trying to compose myself and trying to gather myself and be be this strong person that my parents have always told me I am and everybody that I know says that I am. But in that moment, I did not feel that way. Um, I had to call my boss and tell her that I just couldn't come because I couldn't, I couldn't mentally process it that day. I couldn't possibly walk in this building and start this over again a whole nother day. And I just needed time to, to gather my strength again. Various studies have shown that healthcare workers, specifically nurses, are candidates for long-term side effects like severe depression and PTSD from their COVID details. Elizabeth says that she hopes not, but with school-age sons, one of whom, like his father, is opposed to the vaccine, 
and with patients and co-workers alike in constant inner and outer conflict regarding the virus and its subsequent safety measures such as masks and vaccines, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. Ultimately, though, she's simply too busy and shell-shocked to argue. But this has a staggering impact on her overall well-being. On July 30, 2020, a day she spent going back and forth to the morgue, she posted a hard-boiled lamentation to those she felt weren't listening on her Facebook page. Leading up to the Facebook post every day, you'd get off of work and there was all these numbers on the bottom of the screens of Fox News and CNN about how many people were getting sick, how many people died that day. Every day they had a thing at our hospital and every local hospital where they posted how many inpatients they had, how many people died that day. Every day I would see someone and they would ask me, well, you know, how what are the numbers of the hospital? How many people do you have? How many patients do you really have? Is this really a thing? And it was a constant and it was from everyone I know. And I know that everyone was scared and everyone was confused. And I know that ignorance is easier to, to cope with. But at the same time, I'm trying to cope with the things that I'm dealing with. So I have this thing about me, I guess it goes with my baseline anxiety that I let things build and I let them bother me. And just all of a sudden I have to write it down. I have to put it in words because I'm not the best with speaking, but I, I feel like I can write it better than I could say it. And so I took all these numbers that I had been building up for weeks, the, the employee number that I used to sign out my mask, the, the number of times that I've just had to fall down and pray or the number of hours that I would get that get to sleep that night or <sighs> and I just put it all out there because I felt like people wanted real numbers well here they are these are the numbers that are real to me the post was full of anger and heartbreak sadness, and outrage, and ended by asking America to do better. The post has been shared nearly 200 times since then, but a year later, Elizabeth feels the message wasn't heeded. As far as the vaccine, it's your body and it's your choice. And as somebody taking care of somebody, I do it without a bias, if that makes sense. It doesn't matter to me if you're black or white, male or female, gay or straight. If you're sick, I'm here to help you. And I would take care of somebody vaccinated and somebody not vaccinated, just the same. But if you're not going to get the vaccine, wear a mask, wash your hands, do all the things that are simple, basic things that can help you from getting this. Death has always been something you had to get used to in a hospital. But in the face of COVID, even death itself seems to have changed for Elizabeth. So the thing that haunts me the most with it is the deaths. I've always been comfortable with deaths of most of my patients because there was a, a sacredness to them. There was traditions and rituals that each religion and each culture had. Um, and you could, just a peacefulness at the end of it with somebody who's made peace with their life and said, 
I've done all I've come to do and I'm ready to go. And you could pretty much feel their soul leaving their body the moment that it happened. However, with COVID death, it's just abrupt. You don't have time to make peace with it. You don't have time to make peace with the things you haven't done, the things you have done. You don't have time to hardly say goodbye to your children before they rip the mask off of your face. Or not rip it, but before they take it off and you're gone. You, there's just no time. And I think it puts a dark cloud on all of us who have always been able to make peace with our own mortality by seeing people go so peacefully. And it, it changes the way we feel about death and the way we feel about driving a car or the way you feel about letting your children walk out of the house because it's just so quick that it changes. It changes your perception of how long do I have. Elizabeth says the hospitals try to offer some relief for the staff via grief therapy. She saw a flyer about it. One day she saw that ice cream and pizza were being passed out. She said it didn't help. At this point, Elizabeth is holding on, watching the heart monitors, packed tight, full of experiences she'll be parsing for years to come. What does this mean for the rest of Elizabeth's life? She says it makes everything harder. Every aspect of her life now is consumed by overwhelming anxiety all the time. And that's the new status quo. Untold Stories of COVID-19 from the Front Lines is a production of Cook Publishing Company, Inc. in Adel, Georgia. It's produced and narrated by me, Wade Young. It was written by Robin Postel. Graphics, marketing, and additional production are by Dalton Yawn and John Henry Walker. Deborah Farmer is our ads executive. Charles Shiver was story editor. And Maria Hardman is general manager of Cook Publishing Company. If you have a story that you'd like to share, you can contact us at cookpub.untoldstories at gmail.com. Look for more untold stories of COVID-19 each week in the Adel News Tribune, the Equipment Free Press, the Barian Press, and the Osceola Star. See you next week.